We'd like to thank Mr. Peck Systems for sponsoring today's episode. Mr. Peck Systems is a systems provider of PEX A tubing for rating heating and cooling, snow melting, and plumbing applications. Mr. Peck Systems also recently launched a controls division providing. We'd like to thank Mr. Peck Systems for sponsoring today's episode. Mr. Peck Systems is a systems provider of PEX A tubing for rating heating and cooling, snow melting, and plumbing applications. Mr. Peck Systems also recently launched a controls division providing wireless zoning and its IDC integrated dynamic control package for complete mechanical system control, whether hydronic, geothermal, HVAC, or IAQ. For more information, visit its website at www.mrpecksystems.com or call the company at 800-716-3406. Welcome to Stories from the Mechanical Room with Dan and Steve, a PHCP Pros podcast. I'm Steve Smith, the editor of PHC News Magazine. And I'm Dan Foley. I'm Steve's co-host and president of Foley Mechanical, Lorton, Virginia. Tune in every month for our podcast where we have esteemed guests talk about the latest issues affecting us in the PHC industry. Well, very good, Dan. Well, let's dive in and find out what Mechanical Room stories we're going to discuss this month. Let me grab a cup of coffee and let's do it, Steve. I got my coffee right here. Let's go. And we have a great, great guest today, Richard Trithui. It seems like, you know, all our guests, Dan, don't require any introduction, but I mean, everybody knows Richard. Everybody. Everybody. Richard, thanks for coming with us today. Nice to see you. Nice to see you again, Steve. I haven't seen you forever, and I haven't seen Dan in almost a week or two. A week? Yes. yes. <laughs> we were reminiscing about an old story that I told that I won't repeat for public consumption. But yeah, I, I saw you, Richard, what, five years ago? Did you get yeah. a keynote at PHCC Connect or four? Yeah, before Great COVID. Great shows, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. It's funny, growing up, you know, the only vacation our family ever took was wherever the PHCC convention <laughs> was. We never got to go anywhere, but yeah. wherever. Yeah. I have fond memories of all the old timers that were such an important part of the industry way back when, you know. Well, very good. Well, we, you know, we, we just have casual conversations. Dan puts it quite well where we're just having a cup of coffee. I'm coffeeed out myself, but with that in mind, we can, we can start uh, talking and, and Dan, you, you can, you can take it away from here. So Richard, we first met in person, probably about 2005, 2006 uh, on a visa trip to Germany. Right. I, I knew you and knew of you long before that. I've been a fan of yours probably since the mid eighties. And my first recollection where I really zeroed in was a show you did in the late eighties where I learned about Wiesman boilers. You had this bright orange boiler going in a barn somewhere in Massachusetts. And I didn't know what uh, ERVs were. I didn't know what radiant floor heat was. My background was HVAC. And you're the one that really turned me on to radiant floor heat and I'll call it the high-end hydronics. But let's, let's talk about your journey. So you, you've been a, a member of this, a cast member of this old house, an international star since the early 80s. And you've been like the, the one constant all the way through. Is that correct? I'm the only original member. Uh, Norm yes. just retired and uh, I am uh, hanging on there. It's been 40, 44 years, I think, 43, 44 years. And it just started almost by accident. And then I think after being on the show for six or eight years, I realized that if I didn't find something new to talk about, there's only so many times you can solder a pipe and make it seem exciting and new. So I was fortunately able to go in 
85, I think. Yes, 85 was my very first ish fair, which is the big German trade show. And it just changed me. It just changed me in a way that I went with Joachim Fiedrich, who was the founder of Sadler. You know, so he, he became a great friend. And so we, I felt like I was on his team, sort of, and went to all the meetings and learned about stuff. And then I came back with my brain fully expanded. I remember, I remember the first time I went to, I, I got a chance to do a trip to Germany the first time, though, for Hunt Centra, which was this control system that was bought by Honeywell. So I go to the factory and I'm taking pictures. Back then, the pictures had to be developed. And when I came back, I, I pick up the pictures at the development place and the, the people said, you have nothing but pictures of toilets and pumps. And like, you know, <laughs> that's what, that was my version of Europe. Like, yeah. oh my God, look, they're moving water. So I'm a, I'm a official geek, I guess. Richard, you, you mentioned 1985 was first trip to Ish. So had you, I mean, obviously you knew boilers and old school hydronics, I guess, but what had you heard about radiant and higher end boilers, I guess, bef- beforehand? I, I had a chance meeting with Joe Fiedrich. He was married. He married a girl who was from Roslindale. He was this, he was just trying to find a way to bring product to the United States. And the product he got was a German PEX called Polytherm. He didn't want to fight to get the rights for that. So he just named it Stadler. And the Stadler name came from a trucking company in his hometown in, in Austria. So it just sort of gave me a chance to sort of find it. And I, I, I've always been wanting to do the next new thing. Our family business did that, you know, we did indirect before anybody did it. We were, you know, we had radio dispatch. There's stuff we always wanted to be. It's part of my father's legacy. We wanted to be, to move the industry down the field a little bit. So in those early days, you know, I was doing training here in New England, teaching contractors about radiant and controls and better boilers. And I remember there was this one guy he sat in the front row at a training class I did, and he just was like sad all the time. He was just sad. And I, I got to know him at the break, and he says, I, I do first-class plumbing jobs, but nobody wants to pay for it anymore. And we convinced him to do Radiant for the first time. And all of a sudden, his business grew and grew and grew and grew. And it's, it turns out it's, it's Bilo Plumbing, the people that have been doing this house with us forever. And they are they, have, they took that to this crazy level because they could, Differentiate. If you're just trying to bid on a the plumbing on a big house, there's always somebody cheaper. You can't go low enough. So that's been part of it. Trying to elevate the industry as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Companies like myself, that I make my living off of doing radiant floor heat. Probably half of my business is radiant yeah. floor heat. And we all a contractor industry owe you a debt of gratitude for popularizing radiant floor heat, for making mainstream America know this is what it is. This is a high end. This is worth it because my clients have the money to pay for that, but you have to convince them to spend it on, on me instead of kitchens, appliances, countertops, cabinets, that they're, they're spending the money somewhere. So why not spend it with me on a high-end mechanical system? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I used I used to say that consumers that would say, ah, it's a lot of money. I say, I want to see you wince in pain once when you pay me too much and then thank me every single winter. And they would go, and then they would, sure, and they would show sure. their friends. So no, we, we, all, we all have stories of these, these Taj Mahal houses that are built that are unlivable because they're uncomfortable. They're hot and hot and humid in the summer. They're cold yep. in the winter. They got cold surfaces. Why not make these beautiful houses comfortable? And that's what our job is to convince mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been, that's been sort of our gospel for a lot of, you know, and the, the, for me, on getting the chance to show it on TV, 
I always wanted to show the best way to do something because you could get right beyond the marketplace. You could get to the consumer and that would invite innovation, you know, the other way. In, in the old days, before, before any of these albums were here, you only, you only got cheap white and chrome from the plumber. You only got simple, you know, and so this was this way to sort of break down and then it feels good. The marketplace is grown pretty good. I, I still think the, the the last mile, even with all this talk about heat pumps, you know, I still think the last mile cannot be beaten to deliver use of water as the last mile in the building, you know. Sure. So, Richard, you've seen this industry from all angles. You've been a contractor. You've been a plumber. You've been a TV personality. You've been a manufacturer's rep. I don't know if you worked for a manufacturer before. No. So talk about all the angles you've seen this industry from and some at, at multiple at the same time. I always was afraid the better something was marketed, the less I trusted it. You know, I like, you know, in my experience, I was always finding stuff in Europe that had no marketing, but the product worked. And then I would come here and there was all this hype. You and I were, we had this fabulous get together two weeks ago with some great established hydronic contractors. And we, for a little while, we were talking about all the products that were promised to deliver for us. And they burned us. You know, it was sort of, Remember, you know, we, we rattled, I want, I want to get into the trouble, but, you know, there was going to be this, you know, boiler and furnace and, and it turned out that they would call them the closet bombs, you know, just we, we I'm not going to be spreading anybody. So we've seen innovation, but the market is, the industry isn't big enough. I don't know. It's just, and there's always these, these sort of snake oil salesmen that were, you know, when the first internet first came out, I mean, that's when I, I pulled back from. So if you notice, I, I'm not active in social or on the, the wall or anything. I just, I can't, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth to fight at that level. So, but that's, you know, these innovations have been great. I think, although it drives me crazy, you know, like I, you know, I, I, I believed in instantaneous thought, why you just forever? And I wish I had a nickel for every consumer I've seen where they've said, you know what? I wanted to do it, but my plumber talked me out of it. Mm. And they talked him out of it because it was more work for him. Right. And instead of instead of saying, well, wait a minute, I'm going to give you a solution that's going to last 30 years instead of seven, it doesn't, it's going to use no energy when you're not using water. It's like, I don't know. I don't quite I don't quite always understand it. Richard, you were kind enough to invite me onto the set of this old house about a week ago. And it was amazing how much time and effort goes into, you know, what we see on TV is a five-minute piece. You were you were on site pretty much the whole day. That's right. Getting ready, preparing for it, meeting with the the, the camera guys, the audio, the producer, and it's just amazing. How, you know, you had the three pages of script for a or for a five minute five minute piece, and it, it, I was just amazed at how much time and effort goes into that. It does. Not a lot of people get to see what you saw because it's an intimate place. You know, we're on a job site, and we just have our team. So I'm glad you got to see it. You know, we just the way we do it. There is there is no script really. We, there's a a thing the producer puts out, which we call the sheet of lies, <laughs> which is what allegedly is going to be said. And then we walk through it to get the blocking and the lighting right. And then we shoot the scene. And if we get the master right, then people don't realize you get the master, you get the words right. Now you have to shoot it again with a close-up camera on one person all the way through. Then you do the same thing with a close-up camera on the other person. And then you get close-ups. So, you know, a, a a one minute scene could be 
45 minutes wow. to, uh, to get all the pieces, you know? So it, people don't realize how hard it is. And then I always joke, I only have to remember my lines for like 30 minutes, you know, it doesn't like, you know, as long as I can remember the scene I just did. So I was glad you got to see it. And we, we don't let, we don't let many people in. So uh, you had the gold card with me then. So Richard, I almost blew it. You probably didn't catch this, but when they were shooting the intro with Kevin coming in, I wanted to get a bird's eye view. Few, I'm such a big fan of the show. So I was poking my head around the corner and the producer said, cut, cut, cut. Who's in the scene? Sir, please right. step yeah. back. You're in the scene. And I'm well, sure you probably said. Everyone wants to be on TV, Dan. Everyone wants to be on TV. <laughs> I'm sure you probably said, I have no idea who this idiot is. Get him out of here. <laughs> well, you, were good, you were all quick soldiers. Everybody was well behaved. We had we had a, a great time, just an, an amazing mechanical room done by your buddy. Just did, did amazing work. Yeah, this is a, a geothermal system engineered by my son Ross and performed by Barlow Plumbing. But they are they are artists, so they they're exactly what I would hope for because they're they're doing most of the production now on the on the mechanical side, and I want to make sure we show the most beautiful way it can be done. We want to make it be that people see it and they go, oh. I understand it. I could, I could, I, you know, it could be serviceable. It could be repeatable. And so that's, that's what I want. And they've, and they've delivered the goods for all these years. No, absolutely beautiful work. I took a bunch of pictures while I was there and showed it to all my crew. Yeah. Well, so, we heard Foley does okay too. <laughs> we do okay. <laughs> Richard, last week you put together, I'll call it the who's who of hydronics, hydronics summit at your, your offices in Fall River, Massachusetts. And I'm just going to say that that's what I feel is missing from this industry that we used to do years ago, which is get everybody together, just have a beer, or a cup of coffee and Amen. catch up. And what a great time it was. And just, I learned so much from everyone that you invited to that trip. We need to find a way to bring that back into this industry because you can't replicate that on Facebook or on the internet or on a webpage. Mm-hmm. You can't, it's got to be in person. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't get over how much I enjoyed that. It was just, you know, I think we got away from it. COVID, COVID has made everybody go out of, out of their sink anyways, you know, the last four or five years. But the industry used to feel more collegiate, more, you know, like, you know, like I'm in the rep, I'm in the rep business. And I, I, I talked to all the other reps. We're not really competitors. We're not really competitors. We are all just buying for a piece of the dollar, you know? And so I miss, I miss that. So I'm glad you yeah. called that out. Uh, this mm-hmm. was, so people in that room that have done a few miles of peck tubing, I'll tell you. Yeah. There was some really good ones. But Richard, as a business owner, one of my biggest challenges is finding qualified help to do the work because we're not getting any younger and it's hard hard to climb into basements. And so I need young guys, strong backs that can do this. I'm in the DC area. I'm involved through ACCA and PHCC in workforce development. I know that's something that's near and dear to you. I know we chatted for a little bit about what you're doing in the Boston area to bring young people into young men and women into this trade, which is such a great trade. We've had such a hard time developing that young workforce. What are you doing in Boston? Let's talk about that because people don't know about that. You mean the uh, ferry seat, the, the, the training center? Yes, exactly. Yes. My younger son, Evan, we got talking and we, you know, the Votex schools are trying to do a good job. We're not getting enough. And everybody's talking about how to, how to find good people. So we, we sort of went all in. We, we bought a building a 1904 mill building right on the water here in this uh, industrialized city of Fall River, Massachusetts, is on the south coast of Massachusetts. And then we said, you know, let's let's emulate what a high-end 
plumbing showroom would do, you know, the ones that with, but everything in the comfort world, like everything you could ever, any way you could ever do it. So it, it sort of explodes your brain because otherwise, you know, every trade show you see is just people putting five furnaces in the, in the booth or six things and nobody, it doesn't mean anything to people. So what we did is we made the ultimate training center, I, I think. And now we want to be able to get people. We want to, so we want to find the next generation. And that may be that the next generation is kids that are hired by companies like you in our area, but they come in to get trained on this next generation. Like there's so many. You always, you need a guy that can fit in a crawl space, but you also need somebody that can almost program a computer. And, right. You know, you know, you need, you need a different, and also the, the level of person we're going to find maybe uh, somebody that is tried a liberal arts course, tried something that didn't work. There's all sorts of reinvention we have to look at in terms of how to find staff. This, this idea that there's nobody available is, is not true. We just have to sell people on it. And it could be somebody that was 35 and tried it. It could be somebody that's 22. It could be somebody that doesn't have English as a first language. It, it literally, we have to find people and we're trying to do that here. So you get to see our place. We have a big, beautiful training center on the smart board that everything's, all the stuff they want to play with. But then backstage is every single way and those systems are all working. So now they can, oh, they feel, uh, and so that's, that's all. We're trying to, we're trying to do our part to, uh, to find a train the next generation. That sounds like a very good story for me to come out and visit you someday. Oh yeah. Could be. Where they just, this house just came out to do a, a profile on it and it's almost finished. So I, I could share that with you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to read that. Well, we don't want any press, please. No. <laughs> so. Richard, when I was too in your, your new facility, one thing that caught my eye is that you cover the entire comfort spectrum. For example, years ago, I used to think that radiant heat equaled comfort, which I realized the hard way, it's a part of comfort. It's not the whole thing. You got to be able to treat the air. You got to filter it. You got to air condition it. You got to humidify it. You got to dehumidify it. And now that houses are built so tight, you got to bring in fresh air. And if you ignore all those, you're not delivering comfort to your clients. And that, that caught my eyes. You basically have the, the whole spectrum covered when it comes to comfort. Yeah, we need fresh air. We need ventilation. We need humidity. We need no humidity. All mm -hmm. of it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you live in a hamper, not there in a go. comfort <laughs> area. So yeah, we just, and I don't, I don't think it's still, this is still a work in progress. I, I, you know what the model for it came from is there was a, there was a, a exhibit that went around the country about 10 years ago. It was about the human body. I don't know if you ever saw it, but there was, they had, you oh, know, every yeah. sort of these skeletons and mummies, not mummies, but this sort of, of, of what really looks like inside. And that was really the model in my head when we did it saying, look, people don't know about the mechanical system. So let's make sure there's a way that you can come and see everything. That was really the, the first model, and I think it's it's working. So mm -hmm. we hope to keep bringing people here. Uh, we hope that they don't call they don't all come the same day. But uh, no, it's an it's an amazing facility, Steve. You need to get yeah, out there and take I'll a look at it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I will. I will. If you could go back, you know, a few years, because I did see a YouTube video of this, so I kind of know the answers to my questions. But you know, I, go, tell me how you became a plumber, and then. I guess by default, how, how true three brothers, because I know your dad and your uncle were the brothers, I guess, of true three brothers, right? And they, no, no, my great grandfather, my great grandfather oh, okay. and his brother. 1902, yeah. Harry and Arthur. And they came down from Nova Scotia in 1890 and became Boston firefighters. And then 
there was this new thing just started up and they decided to get to moonlight into this new thing called plumbing. And that would have been 1902. They started Trishuri Brothers. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is when the neighborhoods of Boston were expanding. And you went from an agro-based society to an industrial, more industrialized society. And so they just, they just grew. And, and then, so there's my great, great, great grandfather. Then my grandfather and my father was the one that took it. He took it over in 59. And it was like the company was just about out of business. My grandfather has bought a new boat every year and a new Buick and, you know, just all the classic mistakes. And so my father just took it and says, Jesus, is that all there is? And he, he got serious about running as a business. And so, you know, he, uh-huh. mm-hmm. he was the very first, we got to be the largest non-union service plumber in Boston uh-huh. during the, during the heyday. But we also had the first ones to have radio dispatch trucks and we had a computer, of them, but it was a data general Micronova that was bigger than a van, right? <laughs> we had to have an air conditioner in the room to keep us overheating. I like just all the stuff I think about when you talk about, Changes the end. That's some of the stuff that I think about. You know, nowadays we've got as much data here as you know. It's really it's changed sure, everything yeah, so much. Sure. Yeah. And then, Chris, I, I did see something when you were a, a third grader. You drew a very interesting drawing. <laughs> uh, tell, tell us about that one. <laughs> well, there's a my mother had saved. It was a it was a, a, a pencil a colored pencil drawing, and it said, "When I grow up." from the third grade and um, my mother had saved it. So I, I shared it with the producers on the show and they put it on that thing. You must've seen. I saw so that, it yeah. shows me what I thought underneath a sink. And it's, it's, I remember exactly how I drew it. It was third grade. I, I remember we used to, if we gave blood, we had this little metal thing that would stick on our collar. That's how we do the lights. I remember, I remember everything about it. And, but the punchline was I drew myself seemingly to be seven foot tall because I really <laughs> thought I would be much taller. Than, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so the drawing is pretty hilarious. Yeah. This drawing must be enshrined somewhere in the, in the, on the hall well, of fame. I hope, right? a little beach house. I, I gotta probably bring that back. I just, <laughs> I need Please. something for the weight. So it's all framed and in a wall somewhere <laughs> protected. Yeah. You don't want to lose that. That's right. You know, I'm a fourth generation in the, in the industry. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd be somewhere in this industry. In, in, Amazing retrospect. My, you know, I got out of college, I mean, high school in 73. And if you remember the fuel crunch of 78, you might have heard of us, 78, it was the industry was. And so my father said, Richard, I got all these guys working with families. I'm going to have to lay you off. So I got laid off from the family business. And I took that and I went and I went to a plumbing wholesaler. And at 19, I was in the warehouse, but they, the owner of the wholesaler said, you know, cut your hair, cut your hair and come in and we're going to make you a salesman. At 19, they gave me a, a Buick Century and an expense account. And I went around calling up plumbers. Well, it turned out to be the best college I'd ever, I would, could have ever have gotten because I was going around and I learned so much. And so in retrospect, that was it, got, it taught me so much. It led me to start being inquisitive. Then right after that came my chance to go to Europe. So it was like everything looked like I knew what I was planning. And I, it didn't. It just sort of, as so many people will always share, you have no idea. You just you have no idea that what path you're going to end up on. So it was, it's been quite a ride. It's been a uh-huh. fabulous one. 
Well, very good. Tell us how, again how, how Three Brothers, your dad, I guess, got involved with this old house. We had done a lot of the stuff for the Boston Gas Company was the people that uh, were doing gas boilers and conversion burners and stuff like that. And we were an authorized contractor. And I think because of my father, the company was so professional that when the gas company needed something done, we got it done. We just figured out how to get something. It, we became the people they wanted to call. And so all of a sudden, yeah, somebody was asked about who was decent and I think our name was given. And then the famous story was that we got a call from a, a gal producer at WGBH in Boston, the PBS station there saying, we got an idea for a TV show. We heard you guys are really, really good. But I got to tell you, we're public television. You'd have to work for nothing. And I was like, really? And so my father jumps on and says, sounds great. Sounds great. It's like, and I, I mean, I said, what, why does that, why is that good? And he said, look, we're having a good year. Let, you know, let's, let's see, we, you know, help the plumbers in. And he was always like, he, he did the first year of the show, 78, 79. And he was always trying to hold up his clipboard. So it would show the PHCC logo. Oh, if you ever funny. see the first one, he was trying, he was always worried about helping everybody else except himself. But he literally got so nervous that he just had suds coming out of his mouth and the blood drained out of his head. <laughs> my, my son, Ross, shared, he says, you know, you had mentioned that comment. And he says, and I just was filming with somebody the other day and I watched the blood drain out of their head. You know, you literally watch somebody yeah, yeah. uh-huh. uh-huh. So, and I guess I, I was 22 years old and I had to live with all the things. Think about it back then. I had to live with, am I given away? The magician's secrets. Am I, am I giving away, you know, cause all that stuff was held tight before, you know, you, the power for the contractor was knowing everything and having to have the answers come through him. So, but this in that unique period, 78, it's when Home Depot started. It's when we started. And so all of a sudden consumers had a choice or, or a different way they could get products. And so, you know, I, th- I don't think I, this house, if it started today, it never would last 45 years. It was this unique place. I feel really lucky, really, totally lucky. Yeah. So much skill, mostly luck. <laughs> well, everybody seems to love doing what they do when they're on, yeah. on TV doing it. Yeah. Even though it takes 45 minutes to do one one minute, I guess, what, what I see. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a teacher. We just have a bigger classroom. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, Danny, you, you saw how, how much time it takes. Well, between that and all the other stuff I have done, I, I don't really get to watch the show. You know, so during COVID, somehow my feed started showing the shows. And I was like, wow, that was really good. Like, like a, lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff, you do this stuff and you never, you never see it. So yeah, pretty fun. Richard, I'm in the D.C. area. We still do a lot of steam. There's a lot of steam boilers out there. And one of the, the, the stories that inspired me to, to get involved with steam was a, a cover story you did, or P&M did with you on, on the cover of the North, Old North Church. Am I getting that right in Boston? Yeah, the sure. Old North Church. Yeah, yeah, you put, yeah. put a, a steam boiler and retrofitted some traps and, and, and re, re, repiped everything. Is that still a project that you revisited? You still go back there? No, that was done by my, my family, but we... We did a ton of steam stuff. We, you know, we had, you know, you always need somebody that knows steam. So we had two or three guys that were at the rep agencies locally that gave us the, the, the confidence to do, you know, you have to do the trap schedule and all this stuff. So, but I remember those guys sadly have all passed. 
So uh, you hope that you can find somebody nowadays, but it's a lost, it's a lost art. We're seeing here, there's only a handful of guys that really can do it, do it right. So you can pretty much name your price if you know how to do it the right way. Yeah. So we also did a, a fair number of, in the early days, I drunk, I did a bunch of jobs that were unusual. I took one pipe seat and converted them to two pipe forced hot water. And wow. so it was like, so I, Oventrop, this company used to make this in single insertion valve. And so you would use the rate, reuse the radiator, fish, use the existing supply. I did it two ways, but I did, I did a whole bunch of, and I love that stuff, sort of finding a way where you could now take a seam system that was on and off and turn it into room by room zoning and stuff like that. And people would think you were just a, a magician. And uh, those systems, knock on wood, are still, still working. I had, I had a lot of fun in those early days. I, of, I often thought, you know, there's a multi-million dollar, at least in New York City and Philly and a little bit in Boston, it, there was a multi, probably billion dollar industry in putting thermostatic valves on seam radiators, even on the air vents, mm-hmm. and just trying to put some balance in there. And nobody could seem to capture that market. You know, I think, I think that, that ship is almost sailed because I'm just doing a heat pump. We do a lot of the old apartment buildings in D.C., and yeah. Sure. The challenge is not mechanical. We can put the TRVs on it. It's dealing with the condo boards and 40 set, 47 tenants that don't want to let you into the house to do it. And that's the challenge. It's the logistics, not the mechanical part of it. I, I don't, I'm not jealous of you. I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not unhappy to be out of the front lines of service. It's, it's a thankless. It's, I always love the, the voyeurism of, of our business, meaning we get to go backstage everywhere. We get to see how people live, rich people, poor people, everybody, every every race, cream, color. So we get to sort of see backstage of life, and I always I always love that part of it because you know, guess what, plumbers, everybody's got to poop. Yep, <laughs> so, so true. They need us. They need so us. True. They always do. Richard, my wife said I could write a book on all the things I've seen in clients' houses, but no <laughs> yeah. one would believe, no one would believe the stuff that I've seen. I know. It'd be, it'd be labeled fiction or that I made I know. it up. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the stuff which I can't repeat on this uh, yeah. show, but uh, yeah, we see, you're right. We see everything. And I've loved that part of it. I love, I love sort of seeing how people live. So, I know Richard, you have your pulse on the industry and look into your crystal ball. Cause there's so much change going on. Congress may legislate cast iron boilers out of existence. Everything might be condensing. Electrification is a big thing here. There's an area called Tacoma park that's outlawed fossil fuels for any new construction. So everything's going electric. What do you see the future? Do you see it to be heat pumps? Do you see boilers? I mean, we've got these old apartment buildings that are heated with steam. How are you going to electrify these old buildings? So I have more questions than I do answers, but what do you see as the future of hydronic heating or heating in general? I thought that hydronic would go away, but I think no matter what our, no matter how we make the water, make the air warm or cold, I think water will still be a way that will deliver to the last month. So now I think. The we're on this we're on this full pendulum swing right now. Everything's going to be electric. Everything's been electric, and it's going to be that way until a catastrophe happens. I don't know if you remember in in Montreal they had an ice storm a million years ago, and Montreal had all hydro, and every single house froze up. Every single house because it was all hydro, and Dallas had the ice age and everything. And I think if you if you have a if you have a situation where we've completely made all fossil fuels go away and 
Everybody's doesn't have heat. There's going to be some major swing the other way. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but I just, you know, the other thing is it's 80% of this in the industry is still on fossil fuel. It still has to be. It's, there's no way that solar and wind is going to be able to put enough power into the grid for the Teslas and for the, for the heat pumps over time. If we keep this pace, I think. So I, I don't want to wax poetic. I, I, it's all, it's like when I go back, I look at popular mechanics from 1960. A lot of that stuff didn't, didn't happen. Uh, but I just, I just think pendulum will have to swing back a little bit. This, this, we still need heat. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm up here in New England. It gets cold up here. It gets really cold. And, you know, I've been up in Maine. It's minus 10, you know, minus seven, whatever. It's the heat pump has to work pretty hard. And if that, mm-hmm. The other thing is if that heat pump shuts down for even a nanosecond, it doesn't have that juice to come back with the, the speed you need. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I don't really know if I have a pulse on the industry, but I, I worry that we are completely, I don't know, we're missing, we're missing something. We're being driven by other factors that mm-hmm. I don't quite understand. I mean, how would I make electricity? Is it going to have to be so- nuclear? Nuclear, solar, wind. Mm-hmm. Well, solar, wind, solar, wind, there's nowhere on the planet that solar wind has been able to, Provider. I mean, Germany, Germany's been fighting for it. You know, Germany got rid of all their plants, right? France put all their nuclear plants on the French-German border just to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Germany's going back the other way. Yeah. Now, so we need heat. We, we, we need comfort. We need comfort. And I don't know. And I'm going to, let's, let's go over that because I, I can't win with this. No matter what the answer is, you're going to make something mad. Sure. Sure. <laughs> No, I've always said I try to keep the politics out of it. I'm a contractor. I need to make you warm or need to make you cool, depending That's on right. the condition. How are you going to do it? Whether it's going to be with electricity, with fossil fuel. I've been around this country and I, I'm amazed at the skill level of the mechanical contractor. The father they get from the supply house is amazing. You the guys out. up in Maine and Vermont and upstate New York where they have to they have to do this. They got to figure out how to get the solution, how to, how to make something happen, how to get, you know, how to jury rig something. They were so intuitive and, they, and they're better at it because they, they know if they forget something, they have to drive back, you know, an hour or whatever. So I'm, I'm amazed, you know, the ones, the guys down here in the Boston Metro, oh yeah, I'll just go to the supply house and they, they you know. That's a good point. I, I'm spoiled. I'm, I'm no more than five miles away from any supply house, no matter where I'm at. That's right. One of my good friends runs a, a contracting business out in, up in Alaska, and he puts this stuff on a barge, goes down the river to the Indian reservation for three days. Imagine that. That's right. And he says, if he needs a part, he's got a helicopter in. What do you think that right. costs? If you get there and you forgot something major, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they got to be better. And I've, I've been all around this country and I've sort of, uh, I'm always, I marvel at the guys that are really better at it. You, you know, the other thing that's always been a complaint point for me is perception wise, Contractors always are treated like third-class citizens. And I just, I think this industry is filled with fabulous people working hard to deliver comfort to the marketplace and still be able to go to their kids' soccer games and interact with people. They just, and these, like, I, I always took an exception with the Canadian guy, Mike Holmes, you know, he just, all he wants to do is do a show that says contractors are terrible. And it's been good for him. It's been a, a ticket for him, but it's just been maddening to me because it's not, it's not really the case. And every, 
consumer reporter on the local news used to always want to do the trap. You remember Tom Warner and stuff, you know, right, all that right. stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah all yeah, that stuff. It. You know, it just was like, really, you know, it's just, it's not what this industry is. This industry is filled with fabulous people, you know, that are doing stuff that the rest of the world is not to do. The mechanical world, they don't know how to, how to fix anything. Nobody knows how to do anything, you know? No, those are all good points. Yeah, that the the press wants to label them as contractors as crooks, and that's not the case. Good point. That's a good point. Well taken. I've only got like one good point left too, which (laughs) I'm almost out. (laughs) Do Do you in fact have one more point? Because we we could could say our Merry Christmases and Happy New Years and 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 leave it there. I I will make a point to go back and see some of your other podcasts. I yeah, please do. I will say this, Dan, you, I want to give you proper acknowledgement. You are loved and respected by everybody in the industry. You know, my friends from Ingrid and all the other, you know, but there was always this, this soul to, to my last point, there are people doing fabulous work and guess what? They get paid for it. That's good. Okay. Everybody wins. And so you represent, I think as, as high up on that triangle as there is. And so I'm glad to sort of share with you a little, little conversation that what we did couple weeks ago. So proud of you. Oh, thank you, Richard. That means so much. Coming from you, that means the world. Thank you so much. Well, we'll see you at Ashray or somewhere. I'll be at Ashray, yes. Okay. So let's, uh, maybe we'll, we'll go, we can go to White Castle. See. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Beautiful yeah. Chicago in January. Coming soon. Coming soon. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Richard. Thanks. We'd like to thank Mr. Peck Systems for sponsoring today's episode. Mr. Peck Systems is a systems provider of Peck's A-tubing for rating heating and cooling, snow melting, and plumbing applications. Mr. Peck Systems also recently launched a controls division providing wireless zoning and its IDC integrated dynamic control package for complete mechanical system control, whether hydronic, geothermal, HVAC, or IAQ. For more information, visit its website at www.mrpecksystems.com or call the company at 800-716-3406.